What is going on, everyone? It is Thursday, February 3rd, first episode of February this year. I am Mark Real, and you are watching State of the Family Courts. So uh, tonight we have a repeat guest, uh, one of our more popular episodes, um, someone I've known for, for seven or eight years now. We have uh, Kansas attorney Jake Manbeck. Jake, thank you so much for coming back. No problem, Mark. Anytime. It was a it was a fun experience last time, and I'm ready to kick it off again. So, awesome, awesome. So, we won't dive into Kansas. And and I told you before we came on, one thing I've changed to kind of let our viewers get to know these attorneys or our attorneys we bring on is we're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire. And uh, so we'll start out with some lighthearted, and then we'll get into the legal your background where you're at. So. Uh, Number one is, I'll, I'll, we, we talked about it briefly beforehand, but I'm, I'm going to get to you. Kenneth Rose, our media director at TFRM, is also a Chiefs fan. So thoughts and prayers with you guys. Um, four straight conference championship games. I'm a Cowboys fan. It's been 20-plus years, so I don't feel sorry for you. But Yeah, uh, we, yeah we've, uh, we're, we're blessed, but also cursed at the same time because, you know, we have the probably the best team in the league, and we just can't seem to put it together in the biggest stage. So – uh, we're still mourning. Uh, we're trying not to cry every day when we come to work, but we're also not ready for baseball season. So, because the Royals, like I said, hey, you, you, you can see oh, other side here. You can see all my Cowboys helmets. I, I can't feel bad for a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Yeah, yeah no, no. <laughs> all I, right, uh, so we'll, we'll we'll dive in here. We'll let the people get to know you a little bit. Um, so, like I said, we'll start out with uh, some little, little more lighthearted questions. So, um, coffee or tea? Coffee. I got one sitting right here. Black coffee all day long. Okay. Okay. Hardcore about it. Yeah. Um. If if you had to pick one place to spend a week on vacation, where are you going? Banff, Alberta, Canada. We were there three years ago. Uh huh. Uh, absolute dream. I mean, like picturesque mountains. I'm I'm a mountain guy. I'm I'm stocky, so I'm not really a beach guy. So uh, as much clothing as possible at all times. <laughs> Okay, that was not what I expected. We usually get Hawaii, Miami, Europe. Was not expecting uh, Canada. Either either Banff, Alberta, Canada, or uh, the Jungfrau region of Switzerland. That's probably our next. That's probably our next vacation. Is a Swiss Alps. Okay. So 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 heading to Europe, snow. See, I'm I'm in Southern California today. Next week, I'll be filming the show from my hometown, Kokomo, Indiana. And uh, it's been snowing for about 36 hours straight there. So someone mm -hmm. saying they want to go to the snow when that's what I'm looking forward to next week um, is uh, is uh, I, tough yeah, for me out, to hear right now. Out, out this window, it's about five degrees right now with about six inches of snow on the ground. So <laughs> hey, that's the, the thickness plays well there. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, so um, we'll, we'll kind of dive in a little bit into to the legal side of it. So um, you're in Kansas. Where at in Kansas are you? Southeast Kansas, uh, specifically Allen County. It's in the 31st Judicial District. It, it's comprised of four counties, but we actually work from about Wichita, which is close to the center line of the state. It's more east and west, but from Wichita up to Salina um, and then east. So Anywhere on the eastern half of the state, we handle cases, but mainly in the 31st Judicial District. Gotcha. So you're in, that's southeast Kansas then, primarily? Yeah. Southeast okay. Kansas. Awesome, awesome. And then the name of your firm is? 
Johnson Schoengert. Um, we're a general practice. Uh, we handle anything, anything that comes through the door. I mean, small town practice, you got to kind of either know how to do it or learn how to do it quickly. Um, because there's, you know, there's the, the competition down here is pretty light, but it also makes it more difficult because you don't want to see people walk out your door and go to the big city attorneys two hours away. You want to keep them home. So, uh, you either got to know it or learn how to do it. Yeah, de- definitely, and and I, I'm I guess I'm in in the probably the second most populous region of the country, but um, I, I I talk to people back home. I'm I'm from a town of fifty thousand people, uh, a county of less than a hundred thousand people, and I, I talk to people I grew up with, and it's like yeah, there are four family law attorneys in all of town, um, and all and they walk into court uh, on the family law court days, and it's all four of them are there every single day. Uh, type of deal. So very, very different demographic. And so then if they were, if any of our viewers in Kansas were looking to get a hold of you, um, what's the website uh, or where, or how is the best way to get a hold of you to say schedule a consultation? Uh, The best way is probably just to call us. I mean, we got uh, six phone lines. We answer all day long. Uh, 620-365-3778 is our phone number. Uh, You can ask for any, there's, there's three attorneys in, in this firm. Uh, two are partners and they've been practicing for 40 years combined. Then there's me and I'm, I'm starting my, I think we're, are we on our sixth year, fifth year, something like that? I, um, I went on a bit of an odyssey. I, I worked in sports and fitness after law school. Oh, so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I, forgot. I forget you're, how long it's been, been since we've been in law school. Yeah, um, it's, it's been a while now, but 17. Uh, so, I mean, now we're, we're coming up on five years removed this May from law school. Yeah, yeah, and, so, it's, and, and and you know it's been a journey, but uh, probably just give us a shout. You know, we answer the phone to try to get back within twenty four hours, and uh, you know we're all easy, really easy to talk to. Being from Southeast Kansas, you don't meet a stranger, so uh, just give us a call. So I miss about the Midwest: never meet a stranger. Absolutely, the, the people out here when we when I go on my runs and walks, when you say hi to them and you don't know them when they're on they're the just, sidewalk, they're they, down, they get man. weirded out by it. I'm yeah. like, this is what we do, though. Yeah. All right, so we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll kind of dive into the meat of the conversation tonight. And, and we just to give all the viewers a little, little behind the scenes, Jake and I, we talked for a few minutes beforehand, some different topics that have maybe come up in our practice recently, um, as in the last couple of weeks, or topics that we think generally can help the viewers out. Uh, so we, we got a couple of topics tonight, and one of them, I think... Um, in my eyes, in my mind, goes to keeping your attorney fees down because talking a lot or providing irrelevant information can really run up your tab. And we know that for every single one of our clients, money usually at some point is going to be an issue. So the first topic I want us, we're going to dive into today is what evidence or what information do attorneys want and need when you first walk into their office. So I'll, I'll start it off with you, Jake. So someone walks into your office for the first time. A uh, guy walks in and he says, my wife says she wants a divorce. My girlfriend said we're done and she's not letting me see the kids. What are the first few pieces of information that you're going to want from that potential client? Well, it really depends on if, if the opposing side is filed yet 
um, you know, if she's filed a motion, or you know, if, if it's a paternity case and she's filed a petition and she filed a motion for temporary orders and was granted temporary orders, I'm not sure how they do it in, out in California, but it's basically boilerplate here. If you file a motion for temporary orders in a paternity action and they're reasonable, then the judges kind of rubber stamp them, move on down the road and we're going to set up a hearing. So yeah. if there's temporary orders against you, I want to know one, what if you have a copy of those temporary orders, you should because you should have gotten served. Two, it's going to include parenting and visitation time as well as possibly a child support figure. So I'm going to want to know income information for both parties. I'm going to want to know work schedules for both parties. I'm going to want to know parenting styles for both parties. Um, because, you know, if if it's a type of girl, um, you know, if you guys broke up or whatever, and she's starting to go out and she's starting to, you know, be back in the dating pool, then I want to know where the kid is if it's her weekend if it's her weeknight and she's out on a date night well is a child have the option to be with you or is it with her parents or is it with somebody else is she hiring babysitters daycare providers things like that so if you're a father say you have a weekend shift you can work thursday to sunday here um you know there's a lot of factory jobs in small town kansas maybe you work thursday to sunday in the graveyard shift well that allows you to have parenting time monday through Wednesday, maybe Thursday afternoon, if you go into work Thursday afternoon, well, you should get that time, but they probably don't grant it because that's an odd schedule. So that's something that I would need to know. That, I think that's a huge one. I mean, out here, I mean, there's there's a lot of blue collar workers in Southern California. It's not what you picture, but there's a lot of construction. There's a lot of roads. There's a lot of things that go on. And I represent a lot of dads who work unique schedules. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing you can do is, um, I mean, candidly, I was, I was on a podcast last night that hasn't been published yet, but we talked about dads and their roles in parenting. You gotta, you gotta be able to be specific with your attorney on what your work schedule is, because I'll be candid. One of the more frustrating pieces that I've dealt with through coming out of COVID is one of the parents not working, which in my case, Jake, I'm sure I think you represent both men and women, but in my yeah. case, I represent exclusively men where dad works a blue collar job that has a unique schedule where maybe they can pick the kid up from school every single day and mom doesn't work or work super part time, but you aren't, you don't give your attorney that specific information and we maybe have to rush to get a response in different things and it's tough to explain to the judge orally like, hey, yeah, he works Thursday, Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday is his work week and mm -hmm. he's off by this time. Yeah. Um, and so that can come back and, and hurt you if you aren't specific about it. So what do you see? I'll kind of parlay that into with the unique schedules. Is, is Kansas usually in the, the judges you're in front of? Are they usually pretty flexible about if they see a unique work schedule working with the parents on that? Yeah, I mean, if you push it, um, you know, you know, if you push it hard enough and the judges like to see, you know, as long as both parents are good parents, they like to see, you know, each parent get as much time as possible. I mean, say that, you know, say that you have a dad um, that works six to three, you know, say say he's in like construction or maybe he does uh, road and bridge or something like that. You know, sometimes in the summer they start at six to get out of the heat. They might start at six, work till two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon. Well, technically, your client could pick up the kid every day from school. 
and you know say mom works an evening shift that cuts down on daycare costs there's plenty of ways to spin it to get the judge on your side so having the schedule is is very important because you can work in like a rider first refusal so you know say mom has a i don't know a waitressing side job she does some weeknights well you can work in that rider first refusal into your parenting agreement and judges go for it because then the kid's not at a babysitter or with the or with the grandparents or anything like that so maybe it's not dad's night but with that rider first refusal if mom has to go into work that becomes dad's night so can you explain for our viewers what right of first refusal is and why why it's so important to get in a parenting order yeah so um we usually put a time limitation on it so it's called a right of first refusal that means at any point um where the parent who is set to have parenting time cannot um exercise that parenting time they have a duty to call the opposing party or the other parent um to offer them parenting time based on their inability or um unavailability uh so they have to call the other parent and say look you know I got to pick up this shift at work. I can't, if you can't watch, you know, if you can't watch the child, I'm going to have to send them to my parents or I'm, I'm going to have to call a babysitter. Would you like this parenting time? I tell all of my clients, if you get offered that, drop everything you're doing and go pick up your kid because then we journalize it. And I don't, I don't like to use everything in preparation for future conflict, but that's definitely something that I like to keep a journal of is every time that you're offered right of first refusal time, you take it. So that 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 shows the court you're putting your child first every single time. And I think this is the this is where I see the right of first refusal. And I come into a lot. It's not it's not boilerplate language. It's not the court typically out here doesn't slap right of first refusal on there. But where I typically see the issue is the guy comes to me and says, hey, um, it's her parenting time, but the kids spending most of the weekend or spending every weeknight or during the day, every day is with grandma. Mm -hmm. And if there's no right of first refusal, it's her parenting time. She's able to make decisions. Now, will the judge look kindly on that? Probably not, but she's not obligated and she's not going to get punished for going to her mom. So especially if you're in a situation where you're still a work in progress on co-parenting, and she's probably going to feel more comfortable like, hey, I'm, I'm low on money, so I got to pick up extra shifts, calling her mom and telling her that rather than calling you and telling you that. So that right of first refusal means if they're not going to be in the other parent's care, you get the first opportunity. Well, and it's not just that. I mean, we've had cases where I just had one last week. I represent dad. They're, they're going through a divorce. Mom's trying to get back in, into the dating pool she has the weekends she has every or she has she is currently the residential parent so my guy gets every the weekend and a couple nights a week every week but on mom's weekends like i said she's trying to get back into the dating pool she'll leave the child with her parents and then go out and go on dates and go you know take a trip to the city or whatever and so, you know, we filed a motion to modify a temporary order to say, look, we got to get this right of first refusal because the kid spent 16 total hours with grandparents last weekend when she could have been with dad. And the judge, you know, he granted it, rubber stamped it. And now we got the right of first refusal and my, and my guy gets probably twice as much parenting time as he got before. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, California, it's essentially, I've only had a few instances where if you ask for it and it's reasonable. So if you live an hour away from your co-parent, it may be challenging. Um, It may be a situation where they're going to slap eight or 10 hours. Typically out here, if you live near near your co-parent, it's four hours. So if if parents not going to be able to exercise their parenting time for more than four hours, then they have to offer up that time to the co-parent. Um, but if you live further away, a lot of times they'll put a, a longer period of time on it because it makes no sense to drive an hour if there's only going to be a couple hours of parenting time in 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 that kind of situation. So we'll, we'll kind of I kind of want to parlay off of off of that. In terms of, we talked about work schedule. We talked about the Friday first refusal. One of the things you mentioned, and it's ironic, I spent about 20 minutes on a podcast last night talking about this. In situations where a parent is trying to get more parenting time, anytime you're offered to have the children more, you have to just drop everything and figure it out, um, in my opinion. So when you have a parent who is trying to get more parenting time, maybe has that right of first refusal, what, what do you tell them? And, and what are some maybe workarounds for maybe parents who feel like their work schedule um, may, may interfere with being able to do that? Well, I mean, usually I've got some guys around here and some company that work for some companies where, you know, you can trade a shift. So, you know, if they get a call and you, you know, say your client gets a call uh, to exercise some parenting time and their shift is in like, I don't know, a few hours, they can call a coworker and say, look, man, can we swap shifts? I'll call the supervisor. Um, I really just want to spend some time with my kid tonight. And around here that, that, you know, that flies because that's just kind of how we operate around here. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that, you either swap shifts or, you know, pick up side jobs or something like that because it it has to come first. Your child has to come first. Time with your child has to come first because not only is that precious time to build a bond, but you have to be able to show the judge, look, I can I am flexible with my time. I can set other things aside for my child's best interest. And uh, that's that's kind of how you get your way with it. Yeah. And I think here, here's the piece that, that I think we don't talk about. And I mean, we're, we're on the father's rights movement, um, social media right now. Um, most of our viewers are men. Uh, in terms of we, we, we're making this shift and we talk about equal and shared parenting and we talk about equal responsibility. Well, it goes both ways. So, I mean, you may have in the relationship or traditionally men have played the role where you make the money, you work. And Mm -hmm. if you want equality in terms of time with the kid, it can't be convenient to when you're not working. So it may be saying no to overtime. It may be saying no to going in early. It may be saying, hey, boss, I I can't do this. I I I have to go to the doctor's appointment or I have to do these things. Things that maybe 30 years ago a dad would never do. Um, when I interview attorneys that you mentioned that, that your colleagues you work with have been doing it for 40 years combined, when they first started from everything I've heard from veteran attorneys is it used to be rubber stamp every other weekend period. That's it. But 
if you're a dad now and you want to say, I want equal and shared parenting, we you have to be willing and able to take a step back from work, take a step back from social life, take a step back from really everything else and put your kids first. And uh, I and I also do this. So in each of our temporary plans, you know, because normally, well, not normally, but in most instances where the mom files first, there's temporary orders involved, like I mentioned before. But um, when it comes out, your to temporary orders get set with without a hearing. Basically, right. if, it's if, if filing, yeah. so it's just if they submit something that's semi reasonable. So I, I'm guessing you I'm guessing you get I mean, the stats say women file 70 percent of the time first or more. So you're 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 getting a lot of temp orders where the guy gets served. He wasn't even aware it was going to happen. And he's over every other weekend or something like that. So it's usually boilerplate around here every other weekend, one night a week. Um, the rider for refusal is not in there because that's like you said, it's not typically something that gets involved. But I so and then there's also provisions for medical treatment, schools, you know, school activities, things like that, uh, where the person who has residential custody is basically the decision maker for those minor decisions. So I like to modify not only for the rider for refusal, but I like to modify where the residential parent has a duty to inform the non-residential parent of all doctor's appointments, school activities, things like that. And if it's during the day, I, I typically tell my, my clients who are, who are dads that you need to find a way to make it to doctor's appointments. You need to find a way to make it to, you know, school academic ceremonies where your kid's getting an award or something like that, just to show, look, I can take off work. I can, I can do this runaround thing and be, be, the parent that takes care of the kid, not only the parent that makes the money, because, you know, as dads, we do have the pressure to kind of be the breadwinner just because of the stigma, but we need to let that go a little bit and be, and be the parties, be the dads who can take care of the kids. Uh, because in the family courts, that's what matters more than the money. Um, child support's a whole nother issue, but that's where it starts to get hairy is because you're not just a check. I mean, you gotta be a parent and uh the courts love to see that i'll say this i I just in the past week got a dad we we don't delineate we don't do primary residential custody in california but um dad got 75 percent custody when mom was trying to restrict him to limited amount of supervised visitation the biggest driving factor was we went in with a list of all the kids doctors there's there were two specialists all this other stuff and said Look, all their doctors are in dad's hometown. This doesn't make any sense that he's not involved. Because typically, I see the other way around. A dad may be involved as a parent. They may live in the same house. But they can't name the kid's doctor. They can't name the kid's dentist. That's that's a big thing. I mean, if you that that's something that, I mean, candidly, in this case, usually I'm on the other end of it. But we kind of beat the other party over the head because... She couldn't name the pediatrician. She couldn't name the dentist because dad was the primary caretaker in that stuff. So that's something a lot of times that I see kind of gets kicked back on dads. And you look at initial orders. And, and I think a lot of times it's it's younger dads who you mentioned stigma. They get mm-hmm. caught up in the stigma of it and they aren't involved in medical care and or just general parenting stuff that needs to happen. And the judge limits their time and says, oh yeah, you're just the playtime dad. You're just the money-making dad. So we're going to keep doing that role. 
Well, if that's yeah, if if that's the role you want to play, that's the role we're going to keep you in. Yeah, I, I think that's something that that dads a lot of times miss the point on. Even yeah. if you're not needed there, go to their doctor's appointment. Do everything Absolutely. you can. Yes, I mean one, it'll piss the mom off, which you might enjoy, but that's but that's a that shouldn't be the motivator, but it might do it. You should be there for the kid. Now, in that in that case that you had, did you feel like you were fighting an uphill battle even though your client was the caregiver? I mean, did it feel like you had to overcome some kind of presumption, not legal presumption because there's not, but just kind of a, a stereotype that, wow, this dad is actually the caregiver? And there was- 100%. And the case, case was convoluted and there was a lot going on at like – other legal issues, other, just different things happening. Uh, but it, it's if you would have read mom's pleadings, you would have thought dad was strung out on drugs and dad was an unfit parent and all this other stuff. And they got it into court on an emergency hearing. And we respond and, and we lay out what dad does. And the judge literally looks over and it's like, and says like, Ask the attorney, can I ask your client a couple questions? That's are these their – are the, yeah, usually not a good sign because yeah. you can't say no. Um, but uh, you looks over and, and says, uh, so are these the doctors? Well, uh, um, I mean uh, – uh, and the judge is like, I've heard all I need to hear. Um, we're we're going to go – we're going we're gonna to go with what we have going on right now because it's clear he's the responsible parent. And like I said, usually it's the other way around. Usually I'm like, okay, so where do the kids go to the doctor? I don't know. Do you know what city? Do you know any dentist? I, I don't know. Mom takes care of that. When was the last physical they had? I don't know. Um, that that's th- Those are usually, those are key pieces of information that we don't think of as being a big deal that I think are a big deal to the judge. Or grades. Like any more. Oh, yeah. What, you know, there's, there's some clients I have that don't know what grade their kid's in. So keep up with academics, know their teachers, communicate with their teachers, communicate with school counselors. You know, um, anymore, we see so many mental health issues. If your kid is seeing a counselor, you have to know that. And you have to know what the counselor's name is, what where they're at, how many sessions they've had. I mean, that's a big, all those are key pieces of information. You basically have to know every facet of your child's life. And you should as a parent, but... Most of the time, you know, you just get in this cycle of I'm going to go to work. I'm going to make money. I'm going to support my family. Well, eventually, if that's going to end, you got to pick up pieces every night. You know, you you have to stay on track with it. And I'll, I'll do something here for the dads or, or moms that are watching or, or the support system. If you find yourself in a situation where you've gotten in that in that spot where mm-hmm. you haven't been doing doctor, you haven't been doing dentist, you haven't, and maybe it's been a couple of years and you're really not involved in that part of the life. All you need to do is get your court order, especially if, if you got joint joint physical custody or joint legal custody, um, or it says you have anything to do with decision-making in school, and make some time to reach out to the school and say, hey, I just want to come in and introduce myself to the principal or whatever, give them the court order, guarantee you every single uh, office, high school, middle school, elementary school, they may be lying to you, but they know what to do with a court order when they get pushed on it. Um, I I can guarantee you that. And uh, hand them the order and say, here's who I am. Um, You can be honest with them. I'm making a change. I'm going to be more involved. 
How do I get on? I mean, nowadays you get text messages with the kids' grades in them. You get text messages with them being tardy. You, um, the doctors will send out updates and they have web portals where you can catch yourself up on that information and get yourself up to speed by just simply, phone calls probably won't do it, especially if you haven't been involved. But if you walk in there and hand them your court order and say, here's who I am, here's what I'm looking for, um, help me get all of this set up. Because we can't change the past, but you can make a change right now. So if you're looking for more parenting time, showing that you're active in the kid's life in all functions is will make your attorney's job a whole lot easier on a modification because we can say, here's what's changed. Right. Also, that's, that's with text messages, about three weeks ago, I got custody flip primary from mom to dad. Mom was kind of keeping dad away from all that stuff, but he still made sure he was on all the lists. Well, guess what the school does? Every single day there's a tardy um, on your child. They send the entire class schedule and what classes they were tardy to. We showed up into court with 32 pages of text messages from the school showing mm. grades, tardies, absences, everything. And the judge looked at mom and said, this is unacceptable. We need to make this change right now. Mm -hmm. So, if you're looking for that, that's that way to increase your parenting time or you're in a situation where there are issues and you need to compel the judge to make a change. Doctors and school, doctor, dentist and school may be your quickest way to get it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, showing up, being there and then monitoring your child is probably the biggest way to do it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I, I got one more. You mentioned this earlier, and I want to come back around to this because this goes into, I think, the quiet part that we don't talk about um, a lot. And you mentioned you wanted to know parenting style. So mm -hmm. obviously, we, we, you and I, we meet with dozens of people a month. We see all sorts of different styles, all sorts of different walks of life. Why does knowing the other parents' parenting style as well as your clients, why does that matter and how does that help an attorney? So, and I'm not sure how it is in Southern California, but here, you know, we seem to get dads or blue collar workers. So their parenting style might be a little bit more hands off. You know, their kids might come home, you know, they might play outside and get a scrape on their knee. No big deal. Uh, put a Band-Aid on it. You're great. Um the other side, though, might be a helicopter mom. So when you drop off your kid in an exchange, there might be a bruise, there might be a scrape, automatic. I've seen so many calls to the Department of Children and Families about bruises or scrapes or dirt or kids that are just playing outside. Um, and then there's a there's an investigation. Um, anytime that there's an open investigation, there's usually a filing for an emergency modification. Then we're back in court. So I like to know, like, look, if you're hands off, you need to document everything because you need to know, OK, well, they were playing outside. They got a scrape. Make sure you take a picture of it. Send it, send it in a text to the other side and say, hey, look, she fell off the swing and she got a scrape on her knee. No big deal. She's fine. Make sure that you keep the open lines of communication, because if you don't do that, then the first time that the opposing party sees it as at an exchange or when they get home from an exchange, automatic gaslight she's calling you accusing you of abuse neglect all these things and then of course your first instinct is to get defensive and then that just again gaslight 
that just leads us back to court. Our goal is to stay out of court. Like, you know, I don't mind going to court. I'll go to court. I'll go to war, whatever. My main goal, though, is to keep the parties cordial for the best interest of the child. That's not always possible, but the goal is to stay out of court and to come to come to agreements on this kind of stuff. But if you're not open and transparent with each other, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I'll, I'll say this, given our our demographics here, I know in California, women are, it's three to four times as likely. We call our CPS Child and Family Services. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they're three to four times as likely to call Child and Family Services. And um, I, I think that there's just a general, dads are willing to allow the kids to play rougher, allow the kids to get away with, Maybe uh, jumping that fence, climbing that tree uh, a lot more frequently than mom will allow. And it, 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 it honestly does lead to a lot of unnecessary investigations. I've seen situations where it's like eight-year-old boy falling out of a tree leads to dad not seeing kid for eight weeks while we get a, while we get a child and family services report back. Absolutely, because then they have to interview – the mom who wasn't there, but apparently knows everything about what happened. And dad, who was there, but probably wasn't monitoring because he's an eight-year-old boy playing outside. You don't have to helicopter over him. And then they have to interview the eight-year-old boy who's being pulled from probably both sides about what to say. And so then there's inconsistency there, which leads to more questions and more inquiries and more concerns. And so, I mean, you know, you might lose, like you said, eight weeks of parenting time because of one fall out of a tree. It's it's I've seen it happen. It's terrible when it happens, but I've seen it. That no parent would have stopped. The kid no. was going to fall no matter who was watching him. A kid so, can fall off a swing. I mean, our so so then that leads down the slippery slope. Are you going to keep kids off swing sets? No. Accidents happen. That's what parents for parents seem to forget. Kids are kids. Accidents happen. Scrapes and bruises do happen. You can't yeah, keep it. The, the emergency room would be taking a lot of kids from married couples. Um, if, uh, if, uh, swing sets were banned or you weren't allowed to climb trees. Yeah, so, exactly. um, that that's, I mean, that's something I always warn my guys. I say, I, 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 I've never framed it in the parenting style thing. And I really, really like that. But I, I look at him and I say like, here's the deal. Um, if she is uh, watching like a hawk and she's complaining about bruises, like you just have to be able to be accountable to it. And I I think the best way to defend, and I'm going to follow up with a question to you on this. I think from, in my opinion, the best way to defend against that is to keep an open line of communication. Like I'm always blown away by the number of child and family services investigations with toddlers with bruises. Like Mm -hmm. I've watched toddlers run directly into a wall full speed and not think anything about it. Um, they're going to get bruises. Um, yeah. They're going to get beat up. They're going to, they're going to, their knees going to swell up because they fall on the playground. Mm-hmm. But what, what is your advice? So dad walks into an office, into your office, and one of these situations has already transpired. So mom called CPS, child and family services, what, whatever your state calls it uh, to any of our viewers, it's different in every state because they like to be confusing. Um, but uh Dad comes in and says, hey, there's an emergency order that I don't get to see my um, kid for the ne- until a hearing in six weeks or eight weeks because CPS is investigating. Um, what is your advice to dads to getting through that and then what they can do f- moving forward to avoid that? Um, 
we're in a rural area so and here it's dcf it's department of children and families and i know probably every dcf investigator every dcf caseworker because i do a lot of child need care stuff here too yeah um so i get so they're they're handed like an investigation report that there is an open investigation well i just call them straight up call them say look what's the deal with this case i realize you can't tell me everything but i'm representing this guy trying to help them out. Can we sit down? Sure. So then, and if they say no, then I usually see them at court and I can kind of corner them there. Uh, not really corner them, but I can kind of, you know, start to nudge a little bit, but normally they're open to talk. So then I just talk to them and say, look, here's the alleged situation. This is what happened. He's willing to sit down and talk with you. If this is actually what happened, then can I have you show up and testify at a motion to modify? Now they really can't say much because they're handcuffed by the, department because there's still an ongoing investigation but yeah. really i can get their opinion in court because of their stature with you know because the judge sees them all the time too he has open cases with them so i would usually file a motion to modify because it's probably constricted on the domestic case not the dcf case um, the dcf case would come about if there's an open child need to care case yeah. the domestic case is your divorce or paternity action but normally if there's a dcf investigation that might lead to a sink case the other party catches wind of that and files the um, motion for ex parte emergency orders that's where the control of the parenting agreement comes in that way if we try to mo if we try to modify that back i could subpoena the dcf worker and say look this is what happened he's willing to testify to it he's going to testify to it and then i'm going to call you as a witness and say if this is actually what happened do you have concerns about the child's safety and modifying it back to the original parenting agreement most of the time it's no they don't have any concerns if that's what's actually happened yeah. that's how i would combat it yeah and that, that's the scary thing about family court is that family court judges i mean just the burdens they're given and the instructions they're given goes back to some some bad laws but obviously i think we understand why the laws exist but i mean if an ex parte motion gets put in front of a judge that that the local a local agency is investigating dad for sexual abuse, physical abuse of the child, child being um, beaten up in some form or fashion. It's the family court judge really, based on the laws, has no choice but to step in and do something. Right, and that's you know, and and, and the law here is so it's it's vague and basically if there's a child in danger he has a duty and it's with an abundance of caution like the statute actually says with with an abundance of caution yep. same here out of danger then you are obligated to make that finding and change those orders and then it's a pretty big burden to have it shifted back yeah no that's the uh that that's the biggest challenge because you get a situation where it, it creates a new status quo mm -hmm. um yeah. and so and it's, 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 it's that's a great point is the creation of a new status quo because then if those temporary orders are in place for eight weeks and it's eight weeks out of the school year and your and your guy just lost a bunch of parenting time and uh say that he might have had 50 50 custody going into that <clears throat> but the child's been with mom for eight weeks straight now without even seeing dad well uh -huh. have a new status quo she could she could then go say well you know, we've gotten comfortable. The child's acclimated to my home. I'm up on the grades and doctor's appointments and stuff. He's missed all this. You know, there's been a, a big change in the last eight weeks. We would like to see 
the mom retained residential custody. You can have it every other weekend, even though prior to that incident, he had 50 50. It can happen like that. Oh, yeah. 100%. That, I mean, that goes back. I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I feel like dads are usually on the raw end. That That's one of the big things is, hey, dad allows more to happen at his house, whether it be roughhousing outside, wrestling in the house, yeah. and you get hit with one of these. And I just had a situation where right now child and family services out here is backed up and it was supposed to be 30 days. It turned into 120 days. And at that point, the girls were a little bit older and they – the judge just said, Hey, you know what? We're going to do it at the kid's discretion. Despite the fact that dad had been the primary parent for over a decade. Right. Or so, it could happen, you know, I'm not sure how it works in your practice, but say, you know, mom might get the kids most, you know, she might be the, in, in Kansas, we call it the residential parent. So mom might be the residential parent during the school year. And then it flips. Usually we try to get it to flip for the summer months. So the dad can kind of catch up on parenting time. We'll say that there's an incident toward the end of the school year where, you know, dad's alleged of doing something, whether it be neglect or sexual abuse or abuse or anything like that. Um, and then it takes 120 days to complete, you know, to complete the investigation. That's August. You've missed out on all of your summer parenting time and you roll right back into the next school year. And you can't really go to the judge and say, look, judge, you know, I want my schedule or, you know, I want my parenting time reinforced. Uh, because I lost it due to a DCF investigation for abuse. Judge probably isn't going to grant that just because of the stigma of a DCF investigation for abuse. So yeah. you've basically just lost your parenting time. Yeah, that that's the 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 other one I've seen is the big or uh, Christmas break. Uh, now that they have, a lot of schools have this year round school where Christmas break maybe four weeks, and then mm. also this past August. I saw a rash of these and it seemed like mom was trying to change the kids schools. So mom would get full legal and physical custody on a temporary basis. And if you didn't, if you, if, if a dad waited and maybe didn't retain me until after the judge may have just slapped full legal and physical custody to mom. And I wasn't able to raise my hand and say, we need status quo to stay on this important stuff. And so mom had the right and the ability to make these changes. Yeah. And that's a problem because once you change schools and you got to track down, you know, because if she has sole decision-making power, she didn't have to share information with you. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time, and, and they're probably not going to, if she moves schools on you without telling you, she doesn't respect your relationship with the child. And she doesn't respect your ability to parent your child. Um, so that's why it's very important to stay on top of it. Yeah. I'm going to pop this question up because I want you to respond to it. Make sure that uh, Nicole's still on here. Uh, where exactly do you practice in Kansas? Uh, southeast Kansas, Allen County, um, but really anywhere east of Wichita and Salina. So we'll, we'll kind of wrap up one more one more question for me before we take some viewer questions. So go ahead and drop your, your uh, questions in the comments, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, you mentioned you deal with a lot of the – um, it's DCF, correct, in, in Kansas. You deal with a lot of investigations, cases on that side of, of things. What would be your um, biggest advice? So you in, in California, a lot of times, the first notice you get of that is an ex parte hearing in family court. Um, 
sometimes you'll get the you'll get a notice you'll get a call from child and family services what is your biggest advice for dads you get that call from that agency in your state saying we're investigating you for something what do you tell dads and how do, how what's what's kind of the general advice to help them successfully navigate that process well first i mean hopefully they give you some specifics as to what they're investigating you about when the alleged date of occurrence of the incident you know, when did it happen? Where did it happen? How did it happen? Kind of give you the specifics. And second of all, be transparent as possible. Say, look, come walk through my house. I will explain everything to you. I guarantee if you sit down with the kid, you know, don't. And the most important aspect is to have them talk to the kid or talk to the child outside of reporting parties or mother's presence because most of the time it's probably going to be the mom that reported it or grandparents or parents of mom that reported any kind of abuse or neglect or anything like that they need to talk to the child outside of the presence of the mom because sad to say most of the time mom is coached mom has coached the child into what to say or mom has warped the warped the reality of the child into thinking oh wait you know dad wasn't just wrestling with me dad was beating me um, so then that changes the perspective. Just be as transparent as possible with DCF. You know, they don't want to go on a witch hunt. They just want people to be honest with them. And if you're, and if you're honest with them and you're a straight shooter, then most of the time around here, they're going to believe you. Um, you know, that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. I think that this is the thing I always tell parents is that you can sit, you can, you can stonewall them. You can be difficult. You can be hostile towards them. But at the end of the day, their investigation and in in in, in California, we call it a 3027 report. If the investigation ends up needing to come into family court, they mm-hmm. submit a full report. Right. Well, if you're a dick to them, if you're rude to them, uh, well, I mean, you're, you're just decreasing the odds that yeah. you're going to get a positive write up because this person in, could potentially be writing a four to 10 page document that's going to have a, a heavy hand in what the judge in your family court case decides. So you might as well be the nicest, most pleasant person in the world. Even if it's the fifth time your co-parents called the, the agency to complain about your, your eight year old boy, God forbid, bruising his knees. Yeah. Um, I call it the Jerry Maguire treatment. Like help me help you. Like how can I make your job investigating me easier? Because yeah. At the end of the day, the investigation is going to happen, whether or not they have to subpoena you into court or something like that. Their investigation is going to be complete and you can either be on the right or the wrong end of it. And if you are compliant and you're transparent and you're more than willing to help them, that's just going to shade a, you know, that's just going to shine a brighter light on you in the report. They're going to say, look, he didn't hide anything. He was more than willing to talk to us. He explained the situation. And it could also help you get your kid back earlier because if your parenting time is put on hold pending the resolution of the investigation and you stonewall them for 60 days, you're missing out on 60 days of parenting time at least. But if you're an open book and they get it done in the first week or two, you might have your child back in the next two weeks. So dirty little secret is a lot of these agencies, they'll get free passes to extend out these investigations. They do. I've seen situations where I've come in and dad's been just completely uncooperative and they go out and they file. I've seen it happen where they filed two two 30-day extensions. 
So what was supposed to be a 30-day process ended up being a 90-day process um, for this dad to actually have a hearing in family court mm-hmm. once this investigation had concluded. And the problem is you can't then come into court as a dad. You can't then come into court and say, look, this was supposed to be over at 30 days. It's not because their first quit back is going to say it would have been, but you stonewalled me. I couldn't yeah. get the information. I couldn't complete the investigation because you stonewalled me. Be open, be transparent. If you've got nothing to hide, let them in your house. Let them walk through, talk to them, sit down, have a cup of coffee with them. I mean, they're people too. Most of them are parents too. They understand. So be transparent. You got me laughing because uh, obviously it's a little bit higher volume here in uh, Southern California for for the agency. I don't think you're going to get them to have a cup of coffee. um, And they probably don't want to be at your house any longer than they have to. But no matter where you're at, you can be nice. And these people deal with crap all day, every day. And Mm -hmm. if you're just overwhelmingly nice and you you, you offer them a bottle of water on their way out or whatever it may be, they're humans. They're humans. And their report's going to weigh heavy on what happens in your court case. All right. So um, we got about 10 minutes here left. So I want to get some questions here. So I want to hit a couple of these real quick right here. So um, Nicole asked about where you're at in Kansas. She said she's in Butler County. You pre- Do you go to Butler County? I actually got recruited to play football at Butler County. Yeah, I know Butler, um, El Dorado. I'm out there all the time. Awesome, awesome. So Nicole, um, get in contact. If you, if you DM the TFRM page um, or reach out directly to Jake, I'm sure he can help you out. Um, and then Ebenezer. Do, do I practice in L.A. County? Yes, I'm in LA, primarily in L.A., San Bernardino, Riverside, and Orange Counties. Uh, but we have cases from San Diego all the way up to Modesto, Stockton, Oakland. So really anywhere in the state, especially right now. Uh, probably not so much in your state, but in uh, California, we're shutting things back down and going virtual. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're regular in L.A. County. I'll be in L.A. County twice next week. Um, so you can reach out to our office and we can, we can help you out. So let me dig through here. Um, and find out there were a couple really good questions. This one's a little bit out, a little bit out there, probably not a super unusual situation, and I'll go. I'll go first on this one, and you you can pass or you can answer on this. So, if a parent's made false claims about sexual abuse, then started taking full nudes of said child, what do you do? So, I'm going to deal with the first part first. False claims. So, if they're they're most likely going to CPS or whatever that agency is, and they're saying there's sexual abuse occurring, um, what you want to make sure you do is document the allegations, document the investigation. And if it, so when it, if it comes back up again, you can, you can go to the, the investigator, you can go to the courts and say, Hey, we've done this before. A lot of times the ones I've seen where it's repeat offenders, the story is the same every single time. Uh, And so it can be very helpful to them to remind them, Hey, you've done this before. And I can tell you from talking to these investigators, once they've been involved in a case two or three times, 
there's really no changing their mind unless there's something egregious happened. And that, that's one of the things of calling these agencies when it's not actually an issue can actually harm your child if, God forsake, there is an actual issue. Now, taking full nudes of said child. So I would ask probably about 10 questions here to the client. Um, what are the nature of these? If this is pictures of your two-year-old in the bathtub or your four-year-old running through the house, okay, these shouldn't be going out anywhere, but we don't want to characterize them as being sexualized. Now, if it's, say, your 14-year-old son that they're snapping naked pictures of while he's changing, or it is something that's inappropriate, that's something that, um, candidly, that's not even really a family court issue. That is a federal crime. Uh, so on the second part of that, what are the nature? Because if you run to the judge and say, look at these naked pictures I saw where they put a, put a little picture over the private parts and post it on Facebook of, of an 18 month old. If you run to the court with that, the court's kind of going to be, what, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. um, so that that's either a federal crime or it's something that that's being overreacted to. Um, do you want to touch on that at all, Jake? Uh, you're, I mean, I would, I would completely agree on the first part. You just had the boy who cried wolf. I mean, that's all it is. So if you document it, be trans again, be transparent. Make sure. So in Kansas, you'll either ha you'll have three options of findings with DCF when there's been a report made. You'll have either an affirmation, which is pretty much your the the claims are validated, a substantiation, which means um, the claims are are not confirmed, but there's evidence there. And then there's un unsubstantiated. Anytime you get an unsubstantiation, that's a great thing. That means the claims are proven invalid. Keep that sheet of paper, make copies of it for your files, give it to your attorney, go screaming in the streets with it so everybody knows it was a false claim. Yeah. So then the I, so then again, the next time that it arises, you can say, look, this is the fact pattern. This is the fact pattern. These were the same same allegations six months ago. Nothing has changed. It was un unsubstantiated then. It'll be unsubstantiated now, and that will direct DCF more than any other piece of piece of evidence that they get. Yeah, one hundred percent. Save your documents. The the easiest clients to advocate for are the ones where we have complete files and we don't have to go on a hunt because some of these agencies like CPS, DCF, they can be challenging to get documentation from. So uh, outside of your family court, if you have any other agencies involved, you need to hang on to those records because they can be challenging to get your hands back on. All right, so we'll take, uh, we'll probably got time for two more here. So Omar, this is, a, this is a common question I think deserves to be answered honestly over and over again. If a mom and dad are at a total impasse on a custody agreement, can dad still win split custody? I'll, I'll let you hop on that first, Jake. Yeah, I mean, split is in shared. Absolutely, yeah. I can still win split custody. You know, child is, say child is daycare age and the mom and dad have similar work schedules and uh, not quite, in, the child isn't quite in school yet. Um, then, yeah, I mean, you know, dad can definitely still get shared custody. Um, courts, judges around here love to give shared custody to dads that earn it. Uh, you know, if you show up for doctor's appointments, you, if you maintain grades, if you maintain that 
relationship with the child as well as you know show the ability to co-parent with the other side with a child that's not that is that is not school age you can go week on week off extremely easily i've got multiple cases where i represent dads who have shared custody week on week off exchanges on sundays no big deal um, now when it gets into school it's a little bit different because most courts like to have you know kind of a routine each parent has a different nighttime routine so they like to have that same routine for the child once they reach school age but prior to school age and even I have some cases in school age where parents get along extremely well um, that, yeah, you can get shared custody. Um, make sure you fight for it, though. Make sure you do all the things right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it, it's one of those things where every situation is unique, but it's becoming more and more common. Um, it, it's becoming more and more accepted. They, they're all across this country in every single state studies are showing that we're getting closer and closer to equal and shared parenting just in the courts as new judges come in as i see it as a generational thing uh candidly candidly, my younger clients my clients in their 20s um typically mom is a lot more open to a a fairly equal schedule um, candidly with my younger clients, a lot of times what gets in the guy's way is they want to work, which is your decision, your prerogative. Um, you don't want to step into the domestic duties and maybe lower your earning capacity. Um, but it's becoming more and more common judges. A lot of judges look for ways to, uh, Jake mentioned flipping the, the schedule in during breaks and on the summer judges are looking for ways in a lot of instances to maximize parenting time. So we'll, we'll take one more here. Um, I won't get into it. There's a couple really, really technical evidence questions. I'm sorry, but we, we don't have not, not enough info to really dive into something like that. Um, Oh, this is a good one here from Ebenezer. And this is something that's going to be unique to each state. So Jake and I can both touch on it. So child's grandmother is getting involved in decision-making against my orders. Um, or I'm assuming that means against uh, your kind of will or against what you want. Is there a way to restrict or limit such influences? Um, I'll, I'll kind of take the California side of that first. In California, there are grandparents' rights but they're extremely limited. Mm-hmm. The state of California favors biological parents, um, if they're fit, willing, and able, should be the ones caring and making decisions for the kids. Now, knowing a lot of the situations I deal with, what you're most likely talking about is, what we'll refer to her as mother-in-law, essentially being the point person and decision maker for all the major decisions for your child. Um, that one's a little bit tougher to tackle and it's a little bit more of a candidly. I know you, I know you're in LA. That's, that's, that's a trial type question. Who's really making the decisions and proving that. But um, in, in California and in most States, there's a heavy preference to biological parents. So let's just say grandma's making the decision for mom and is the one doing all the, the caretaking. And then when the child's with you, 
you're the one doing all that stuff without much help, the judge is probably going to look favorably on you because you're the biological parent that is doing the most actual parenting. So I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Jake. What's it? What are grandparents' rights like in Kansas? And um, what, what would your advice be in a situation like this? Grandparents' rights are, are in Kansas are a lot like what you what you described in California. They're limited. Um, you know, if you file for grandparents' rights, I'm actually getting ready to do it in a couple cases for some grandparents. Um, you know, it's a two-prong test. You have to have a, a, a proven substantial relationship with the child and it has to be in the child's best interest. But then grandparents also have to pay for the parents' attorney's fees that are com- going to combat that. Um, so they might get four hours on a Saturday once a month, but it's extremely limited, kind of like what you explained. Now, if it's an instance where, you know, mom's mom, the ex-mother-in-law, is kind of taking control and making decisions on behalf of the child, that leads to a question as to how much time is the child actually spending with mom, if the child's spending all this time with grandma, uh, being aggressive, you know, if it gets to this point where mom's, where mother-in-law is being that overbearing, I file a motion to modify just to get her on the stand. And then if, if she's that overbearing and that kind of forward with it, uh, that would be a very exciting cross-examination. Um, I would want to see just how much control she thinks she has, because like you said, in California, there's a presumption to let parents be parents in Kansas. Um, actually, that's that's constitutionally let parents be parents unless it's proven otherwise. So if you've got custody and visitation time, then you have met that burden. You you deserve to be constitutionally constitutionally allowed to be a parent. And if she's trying to interfere with that, that's not in the child's best interest. And that's going to work against her. She might not know it while she's saying it on the stand, but you can use it against her. So that's that's what I would do. Yeah, that that's like that, that's exactly. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a situation where you're going to want to get her on the stand if she's the one calling the shots. And um, and what's and probably what's most exciting is you kind of feed when you're facing an opposing party like that. You feed the ego and kind of let them dig themselves in because they don't know that they they're burying themselves. They're just answering the questions thinking they're right. They're in control, all of those things when they shouldn't be in control at all because they're a grandparent. They're, they're lucky to even have parenting time or I call it parenting time. They're, they're lucky to have visitation. Um, So when they overstep that bound and they take control, that's working against them. 100%. All right, we'll wrap it up here. I got a few. I always, I get when I get these questions, I always like to answer them. Ryan, uh, Sean Colmeyer is actually in the comments on here. He is in Seattle. He is your guy in Washington State. Um, and then I'm gonna bite because there are several people who who said this they they wanted this question answered. There's not really enough detail. Um, can daughter's phone be used as evidence if her phone is a clone of mom's? The short answer is yes. Um, the long answer is you're probably going to need an attorney and potentially an expert witness to navigate through the thorny issues around that. But she's a minor. Um, you can probably get phone records in. Um, if it's just a clone, it should be pretty easy, but it may require, depending on the situation, an expert. So in short, yes. In long, you need to talk to an attorney in your state because it's not going to be straightforward getting it admitted as evidence. No. A lot of years issues with that. Yeah, yeah, a lot going on there. All right, so as we're wrapping up here, one last time, Jake, um, 
how do the our viewers in Kansas that are looking for representation get a hold of you? They can either Google my name, Jacob T. Manbeck. Um, I'll be the first one that pops up. Um, they can Google Johnson Schoenger, or they can just call us at the office. The number is 620-365-3778. Uh, we handle everything that walks through the door besides uh, bankruptcy and tax issues. So give us a shot if you're in the area. You don't mess with the federal government. Try not to mess with the Fed, man. <laughs> All right. Well, Jake, thank you so much for uh, coming on again. It was a pleasure. It was fun. Um, and uh, for all the viewers, I will, will be back next Thursday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I will be coming to you from Kokomo, Indiana next Monday or next Thursday. So uh, we will see everybody then and uh, we'll see all the viewers next week. Bye.